The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we are coming to you well from the gloomy gray studios of WWDB AM860 here in greater Philadelphia, waiting for the spring, which they tell me is only... Three months away. <laughs> Waiting for baseball. Anyway, welcome. Welcome to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. You're streaming on WWDBAM.com, and these shows are always archived on my website, JewishSacredAging.com. You can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com, and we'll be right back uh, with our guest on our first segment, Barbara Shaman. From Embrace Your Legacy, we'll be back with Barbara right after this message from our very good friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Kendall is committed to working with others as we together transform the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Good day and welcome back to our first uh, segment here of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Again, coming to you from the studios of WWDBAM.com in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And we welcome from Embrace Your Legacy, the founder and principal, Barbara Shaman. Welcome, Barbara. And um, it's nice to see you here. Bringing, uh, you're on your way to Florida soon, so congratulations. Um, you just came and you just, brought the sunshine here I to the know. studio today. Yeah, there's no sunshine outside. <laughs> In the studio it, there is. And it was 75 when I, it's, it's not 75 today. And I'm holding your book, A Live Your Legacy Now, 10 Simple Steps to Find Your Passion and Change the World. Very, um, timely, as a matter of fact. So welcome. And um, you wrote this book talking about your le- living a legacy. First of all, wh- what do you mean by legacy? What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, to me, the word legacy is not just the material possession that you might leave to a loved one, but rather or something that happens only after you're gone. Legacy for me is the way you take your values and you put them into action and how you lead and live your life while you're alive. I want to tell my own story while I'm alive, live that story, demonstrate my character and what what's in my heart, and particularly for my children and grandchildren so they can understand what does makes Bubby tick. Why do I care so much? So for me, I, it came to me one day in the shower, actually, that legacy is not just after you're gone, but every day of your life, and you're never too old or too young to live a legacy. And I've worked with young people as young as 12 who will understand this concept that every day you have an opportunity to make the world a better place by the way you interact with others, by what you do with your time, if you're interested in doing service, what kinds of service would you want to do, and really living a life of a mensch, as my mother taught me. So 
what motivated you to focus on living a legacy? What, what was there a moment in time? Uh, uh, was there is this from your parents? It, it, what was it that pushed you and 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 in your soul said this is what I want to do with my life? Well, it's interesting that you phrase it as that the, a moment in time. Yes, there was a moment in time when I had that aha experience. It was while walking through Auschwitz with my mother and father. Your parents are survivors. My parents are survivors. My mother was the sole survivor of a family of 65 people. My father worked for Oskar Schindler. And my mother never wanted to go back to Poland, but one day here in Philadelphia at an international conference of Holocaust survivors, we were marching from the Bellevue to the Liberty Bell. Mm -hmm. And my mother looked at me and my brother and said, it's time for us to go back. This is before Spielberg did the show of Foundation. I want to tell you the story. Mm. I want it videotaped. I want it in our family. I want you to understand who I am, what I care about, and what shaped me. What was it like? Frightening. It was the most Frightening to you? Frightening to me. And frightening to my brother. My brother is a physician, and he felt this was not a good idea medically for my family. But my mother insisted, got a hundred of her friends and their children who were the survivors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we went. And it was incredible to see them go through these experiences. My, we went to the large ghetto. We went to Auschwitz. We went. Where were your parents from? Yeah. My mother was from large Poland, mm-hmm. and my father was from Krakow. Oh, okay. But the major de- communities. Yes. But the day we went to Auschwitz was a day that changed my life forever. forever. Walk me through that. What was that like? It was frightening for me. I, I was always afraid to envision my mother incarcerated in one of these death camps and to walk the path and hear how she, as a 19-year-old girl, had already lost her entire family, every worldly possession that she owned, and was taken out of the last transport of the Ludge Ghetto to Auschwitz, I just couldn't even get dressed that morning. And I remember saying to her, should I wear black for mourning mm-hmm. or white for rebirth? And her answer was, you wear your Jewish pride and your humanity and you walk with your head tall because they did not have the final solution. We lived, we had families, we raised them with love, and we're wearing our Jewish values today. Can it happen again, Barbara? I mean, the Holocausts are happening right now. So, you know, I mean, I guess it's a silly question. There's there's a Holocaust in Syria right now that is that's that's overwhelming. My mother used to look at my mother died five years ago, mm-hmm. but she would always scream out. Haven't they learned? No. I Has the world not understood what happens when people lose their humanity and a world sits by silent and indifferent? I'm frightened. Mm-hmm. I am frightened when I see what just happened in Syria and the hate speech around me. But getting back to that day in mm-hmm. Auschwitz, right. my mother used to compulsively brush her teeth, and we never understood why. Even with dementia, she used to wake up the caretaker to take her at 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. to brush her teeth. We're walking through Auschwitz, and my mother says to me, I have lost any everything by the time I got here. I snuck a toothbrush into my dress. It was the last vestige of my humanity. They took that from me. Well, I had such a visceral reaction to that, thinking that my mother only had a toothbrush left, her only worldly possession. And I excused myself. I said, Mom, I have to go out for a moment. 
And I was literally shaken and panicked because I had made fun of my mother. Mom, why are you brushing your teeth again? Never understanding this. So I'm in the courtyard, and there are a group of 15, 16, and 17-year-old boys laughing and clowning around. And I hear that they're speaking German. German was my first language. I was born in Germany after the war. And I went up to them, and I said, how are you behaving? Do you understand where you are? And they started laughing at me. That moment changed my life forever. I was an entrepreneur running a national executive search firm recruiting senior level healthcare executives. I loved my work. At that moment, I realized that I needed to become a social entrepreneur, that I needed to go back to Philadelphia and create cultures of caring in schools so that there would be respect and kindness and caring and that teachers would focus on teaching these pro-social skills in the classroom because sometimes I think we're so overwhelmed with the academics and even the athletics that we forget about teaching the values. And at that moment, I birthed Champions of Caring to promote social activism amongst youth and to create cultures of caring in schools. And we've worked with over 10,000 young people here in Philadelphia, and I started a pilot in South Africa. And I was very grateful that Steven Spielberg, through the Shoah Foundation, gave me seed money to start this organization. So this is not – when you came back from this trip with your mom, this was not – uh, the development of a program to just to teach the Holocaust. This was expanded to say on a much larger, more, let's just say, human social awareness skill level. Would I be correct in that? Yes. I mean, this, my story is in the textbooks that we give young people, mm-hmm. and I've addressed all of these young people at assemblies and their parents and teachers and, and principals. But to me, my response that I learned from my mother to the Shoah, they teach hate, you teach love. They teach that people are not important, you teach the value of each individual. So this tikkun olam, repairing the world, was paramount in my thinking. How do we create cultures where people really care about each other, irrespective of their race, their socioeconomic background, their age, that we come... bring diverse populations together and work together. And that's what I did. I worked a lot in inner city schools, but I brought the richest and the poorest in Philadelphia together, Muslims, Jews, Christians, and Drexel was our partner. And we would run workshops where these diverse groups of young people who would never meet each other ordinarily were suddenly working together to put together service learning projects to change the world locally or globally. And I think we need that today. Do you think, do you you think some of, because of the election, there's going to be a rise in some of this attempt on the part of communities to bring various diverse populations together? Absolutely. And I really encourage your listeners today that people should stand up and speak out. That was the lesson we learned from the Holocaust and from atrocities. We need to have our voices heard. We need to mobilize multiple generations, bringing them together so that we can learn from each other and carve out projects that we care about so that that hate speech that we're seeing is diminished, that people stand up for their rights. We are all God's children, and we all deserve to be respected and cared for in a society. And now is the time to speak up and and stand up about our own values. 
Tell me about the coral coral ring. C O R C O R A L. So the most important possession which you're wearing, I have, I mean, which I I'm wearing, right. I wish your viewers could see it. It's well. a beautiful shade of coral. Is a coral ring. My grandmother was an entrepreneur. In the late 1800s, she went from Krakow, Poland to Livorno, Italy to buy corals for their coral factory in Krakow. And she bought the ring that I'm wearing. It was one of her prize rings. And uh, one day she heard that, you know, they were hearing rumors about the Holocaust. Nobody really knew what was happening, and no one could believe the monstrous proportions of this genocide. Uh, but my grandmother said to a man who worked for her in the factory, please, I'd like to give you several of my prized possessions, this coral ring and my Shabbat candlesticks, and would you please hold on to them for me because I hear bad things are happening to my people. And she said, by the way, we own a five-story apartment building here in Krakow. You and your family can move into the building. Well, the man took these possessions And my father met my mother in the Theresienstadt concentration camp. That's where they were liberated in May of 1945 by the Russians. They both had typhus. My mother weighed 80 pounds. My father weighed 90 pounds. They went together to Lodz and then to Krakow. When they got to Lodz, my mother's city, they found out of a family of 65 people, no one was left. When they got to Krakow, my father was reunited with his then 50-year-old mother and one of his brothers. And when he introduced my mother to his mother, my grandmother said, Oh, my God, I have a ring for this beautiful young woman. This is going to be my new daughter-in-law. And as my mother said, it was after losing an entire family to know that not only could she get married, but also now have a mother and a brother-in-law. This was the greatest joy of her life. And they went to find the man that had the coral ring. And you're not going to believe this. He denied having the ring. After all that had happened, this is now 1945-46, so my grandmother was very astute. She said to him, you know, you can stay and live in the building in Krakow because we're leaving Poland. We're not going to live here. The blood of our families is soaked in the soil. I just want the ring. So the ring became my mother's engagement ring. For one of my special birthdays, she put the ring on my finger and she said, I want you to wear this ring as a badge of honor and courage and remember how important it is to make the world a better place. So this takes yet another twist, Rabbi. Mm -hmm. My eight-year-old granddaughter at the time, Becca, said to me one day, Bubby, orange is my favorite color and I love your ring. Can I have your ring? I said, you know, one day Bubby will give you this ring, but to wear this ring, you have to do things to make people feel better. She was like, you mean share my snack or have uh, someone sleep at my house? I said, sort of, but maybe you think about it. She called me back two weeks later, and as only a child can say, you know, Bubby, you're getting really old, and you run this Champions of Program. I think I should take it over because I'm so much younger. And then she blurts out, can I have the ring now? But I love the story because she understood that part of the, our DNA is passing on these values of Tikkun Olam and making a difference with our lives. So I, I encourage your listeners to think about you, kids are never too young to be involved in this process. We're speaking with Barbara Shaman. Real fast, Barbara, the uh, website, in case somebody wants to take a look at what you're doing. Sure. Embrace your legacy now. 
dot com. And we'll be right back with Barbara here on the first edition, first segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here. We're just talking with Barbara Shaman, the founder and principal of Embrace Your Legacy, and the um, website is embraceyourlegacynow.com. Barbara, talking about... um, this the development of this concept of uh, embracing your legacy and what the legacy is of giving the idea of giving back giving back to that the succeeding generations the people who follow us as well as um living now with a certain sense of passion and you write in your book live your legacy now by the way the book is available where on amazon Dot com and Barnes and Noble. Great God. Amazon knows all, sees all, delivers all. Maybe not by drones in Philly, but um, you write about passion. Uh, Talk to me about what you mean by use of that word in the context of what you're doing. Well, sometimes passion, the word passion can be an intimidating word. But for me, passion is something that lights your heart up, that when you're doing it, you feel good about yourself, you really enjoy it. And you can be passionate from golf to tennis to art to music, but I see that as a trigger. And can I share a quick story with you about passion? So I was working with a group of young people here in Philadelphia, Drexel, one day, and I looked at an audience of about 100 young people and said, can someone tell me what they love to do, what lights them up? And Raul raises his hand and says, I love salsa dancing. I said, that's great, Raul. Then the second piece of the equation is, Raul, what makes you angry? What do you see around you in the world that really upsets you? And without hesitating, he says, old white people who, when they see Latino and African-American boys walking down the street, will not make eye contact, will cross the street, and will not like us without even meeting us. I said, do you think you can take your passion for the salsa and this anger about this prejudice and tie them together and create a project? And he thought for a moment and then looked at me and said, you know, all those old white people go into the senior center. What if I went in there and taught them the salsa? We could have fun. We could start bonding. And maybe I could turn this relationship around. And then we started talking with the whole group about impact and sustainability of a project, that you can do something once, and that's great, and you can have a lot of fun, and it could be a wonderful experience. But if you really want to have impact, Could you create a bigger plan than that? And I handed him a a workbook that we had designed going through these 10 steps that I write about how to create something, how you have to have a mission statement, goals and objectives, timelines, who are your partners, do you need a budget, and really think through with clarity 
like a business plan. What right. is it you want to accomplish? Well, Raul found a guidance counselor at his school to help him. He recruited 20 African-American and Latino boys to be part of the project. They wrote a letter of intent to the principal of the school and to the senior center director and taught each other how to teach the salsa because they knew that teaching and dancing were two different skill sets. They went in taught the 70 and 80 and 90 year olds the salsa and afterwards they had such a good time he said they taught them this old fogey dance called the jitterbug and they started bonding the second session they invited the audio visual teacher in with them and they wrote questions about their the, the seniors past were you ever bullied they were doing an oral history basically how did you feel did you ever bully someone else? Do you feel there's prejudice now? And then they took this video and they got up in front of their entire school and talked about how they're changing attitudes in the community. They then went and painted the, the senior center and we had an event at Drexel where Raul got up in front of hundreds of people and danced the salsa with Miss Jane who was 82 and she got to the microphone and said, before I met Raul, I had hate in my heart and I didn't even realize it. Thank you, Raul. You taught an old dog new tricks. I love this story because Raul dipped into his passion for salsa combined it with his anger about prejudice in his community and created a project that brought disparate groups of people together with respect and the skill sets that he learned and the attitude change in the population at the senior center was remarkable. If we could have this with the leaders of our different countries in the world, our heads of state, wouldn't it be a better world if they could see eye to eye? So Raul had no budget for this. And that's a key point. Sometimes people think you need a lot of money to create social change. It has to start with your heart and your passion. You need to be vested in this. And then to find like-minded people who can support you. No man is an island. And then really have a plan. But And I can tell you the one thing that Raul always said to me. He got so much more back than what he gave. And now I'm proud to tell you he's a principal intern at a high school here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So, it's one step. It's one, one, one little project at a time, isn't it? But once you learn how to do this, mm-hmm. you can change or you can stick with something. I mean, we've had students who've stuck with the same project over for their high school career and even went into college doing the work and pulled in their parents. One thing I want to mention, sometimes the best idea for a project comes from the youngest person at the table. So I really encourage people when they're sitting at a Shabbat dinner or Thanksgiving to sit and talk about this kind of thing. What do you care about? What's important? And if you can get young children interested at an early age, this will become a way of life for them. Because don't we want to raise kids with great character who care? We, we have about five minutes left in this segment. So you, you write about, um, building on what you just talked about, something called on a th- the authentic need. That's really important in, in trying to determine the development of some sort of legacy project. What, what do you mean by authentic need? Well, sometimes people come up with ideas that they think are needs, but they're really not authentic to the population that they want to serve. Mm-hmm. And you have to really research, is something like this being done? 
who is doing it already? Can you partner with the organization that's doing it? And does the agency, if you want to support uh, an agency for homeless people, sometimes uh, the kids and people I've worked with have said, I'd like to do something with the homeless population. They need to understand what's already being done to serve that need and if their idea fits in with how that will work. Sometimes great ideas come up but they're not authentic to the needs of the population, and they you won't get the, the kind of support you need to actualize your vision and make something sustainable happen. Uh, so you really need to put down what are your thoughts and ideas and then figure out who's already doing something similar to this, and will this come in as something that's supportive or new and unusual and something that's desired? Because if it's not needed by the organization – or, or the people who are already addressing this issue, it'll be very difficult to make this happen. You write uh, uh, also in the book about this juxtaposition. Uh, a phrase you use is a body of work uh, versus a body of life. W- what do you mean by that? Well, I see my life as a journey where the work that I do is the sustenance for my life. So the more I'm involved in projects that enrich my soul, where I feel I'm making a difference, the more meaning and purpose I feel I have in my life. And for me, meaning and purpose is key. Health, love, meaning and purpose. I think if you have those ingredients in your life, you live a very rich life. So that this is something that's not just a professional need, but it's something that stirs my soul and something that I want to continue doing forever, as long as I can, and being surrounded by people who also appreciate the richness of giving back. That's the body of the people that I'd like to be around. And if it could be your family unit, it could be friends, it could be colleagues, it could be people in your faith community, but this body of life is what really makes you have such great meaning and purpose, and that for me is the life I want to lead. Let me conclude by going back to where we started with um, that image of walking through the camp with your mom and your brother. And um, dad. And dad. Where where was your sense of your own faith in, in that walk? It's a very tough question. I have... You know, Emil Fackenheim talked about the 13th Commandment and thou shalt not give Hitler posthumous credit. And I do understand that and, and feel that in my heart. I do believe in God, but I'm still concerned where God was in Auschwitz. I still to this day cannot understand. And when you walk through Birkenau and around the railroad tracks there, it's unfathomable that people could be so cruel that a world could stand by so silent and indifferent. And I would hope that the godliness in all of us would help the world not do this again, that I think we have to turn inward sometimes and look at what can we do on a human level to ensure that never again becomes a reality for all people. We've been talking with Barbara Shaman, the uh, founder and principal of Embrace Your Legacy. And again, Barbara, the book is Live Your Legacy Now, available on Amazon, Amazon and at Barnes and & Noble. And um, your website, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what is it? EmbraceYourLegacyNow.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. 
Barbara Shaman continued good luck. Um, you know, I'm looking at the Carl Ring and that story, and uh, that really is embraced in that run story, um, your family, your present, and your future. So uh, thank you very much for the work that you do, and we wish you continued success and, and good luck. And um, thank you for being a guest here on the first uh, segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We're going to be thank back you. with Peter Hecht uh, from Janie Montgomery Scott talking. I'm going to switch gears a little bit from, well, not necessarily a spiritual legacy to financial legacy, if I can pull that together. Um, we're going to go back to a little Peter, Paul, and Mary uh, to bridge between segment one and segment two, and I hope you enjoy it.
Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Dot com And a reminder that all these shows are archived on JewishSacredAging.com. And we welcome back to the microphone for our second segment, Peter Heck from Jenny Montgomery Scott over in southern New Jersey. Peter, are you there? Yes. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Well, you know, it's not too bad. Uh, what can I tell you? <laughs> welcome back to the cold. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's a mistake to get on the plane. The... Um, <laughs> But I had to talk to you, so I had to come back and, uh, you know, get ready for spring training, which uh, they tell me, they tell me in a month and a half. Are the Phillies going to have spring training? This yes, season? they are. <laughs> yeah, they'll need it. Um, Peter Hecht from uh, Hecht Investment Group, the Hecht Investment Group, part of Johnny, at, uh, and you're over in southern New Jersey. And Peter has been our guest on a regular basis about once a quarter for all these many years here at Boomer Generation Radio. Lots to talk about, Peter, so thank you very much for coming on. Um, I want to start with well, I, what may very well be the obvious. It's a brand-new year. Uh, we have a brand-new administration coming on board. Um, many people may be reevaluating. You know, it's the beginning of January. They're uh, taking a look. Things are happening financially. You know, sort of like big picture right now. What, what, what would be the best pieces of advice you can as a financial advisor, financial planner, to give to baby boomers who are in, you know, is this new world that we're about to move into, is it filled with uncertainty or is, wow, the stock market's approaching, what is it, 20,000, things have never been better, this is the time. What, what, where's, the, where's the focus here? Well, our philosophy has always been to stay invested for the long term. Um, uh, we generally don't discuss politics or religion with uh, with uh, individuals. Uh, we have a 50% chance of being wrong uh, <laughs> if we do. So uh, those aren't good odds for us. Uh, what I will say is that um, people refer this, to this as the Trump rally. Uh, probably his election has had something to do with it. But uh, markets generally pay, uh, pay attention to earnings interest rates, uh, uh, you know, the type of management that a company has, what they're doing. Um, they're not really interested in, in politics. And a good example of that is everybody's talking about how the market's up 9 or 10% since Trump won his election. Uh, but during the Obama administration, the markets have been up over 200%. Wow. So, yeah. So we were, you know... <laughs> We were in uh, unemployment at around 10 percent, and uh, markets uh, uh, were in, you know, very low at the time. Uh, now we're at unemployment around 5 percent or less, and the market's up around 200 percent. Generally, markets like a division in politics. 
uh, because not a lot gets done. Markets do historically, and this is a, lo- a big generalization, but markets do well when one party's in the White House and another party is in Congress. Really? Yeah. Uh, they generally don't do that well when uh, uh, one party has uh, all branches of, uh, of government. But uh, that's not to say that that this won't continue. We still have, uh, even though uh, the uh, Fed raised rates a little bit, we're still at historic lows for interest rates. It's still easy to borrow money. Um, it's e- easy to get mortgages at these rates. So in general, we're not looking at politics. In general, we're looking at where ma- markets are, and we think um, – uh, that 20,000 is just, you know, just a number like any other number. Uh, it'll eventually get through there uh, at some point. When, we don't know. We don't try and, and, and speculate that way. But uh, we're looking at certain sectors. Uh, you know, the old phrase, and we've talked about this before, diversification is right, key right. Uh, for individuals. Your your age, your your risk levels, you know, things of that nature are much more important than who's sitting in the White House. You know, you you, you raise a question. Um, I'm in the middle of reading the new Tom Friedman book, which which talks about mm-hmm. you know, globalism and the economy and various things and trends around the world over the last since since the beginning of the millennia. Mm-hmm. Mark, how much but markets are impacted now on a global basis about international events and even even uh, climatological events, aren't they? Um, you you get a bump or, or or movement in markets because something's happening in China or something's happening in you know in Australia politically or even environmentally. There's a flood or there's a tsunami or. Things are really interconnected, aren't they? Or are they? Or are they? I guess that's really the question. Well, they they are to a certain extent. the The world is certainly much smaller. Uh, information is readily available to individuals a lot faster than it has been historically. Uh, so markets can react very quickly, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, we are, as I as I said, a smaller uh, a smaller world. We see. Uh, uh, Europe going through a lot of things that uh, the U.S. economy went through earlier in in the recent uh, past, uh, which is one of the reasons that we we like Europe. But markets react to certain events, um, and and you got you, you need to avoid uh, being too emotional. They they react to assassinations, to impeachments, to governments being overthrown, to as you said, tsunamis, things of that nature. But they are events, and markets do snap back. A good example of that is Brexit in in uh, in Europe right. when that when that took place in England. Uh, market took major hits for two days, and then. The market kind of said, well, ho-hum, everything is, is still really, really the same. Markets don't like surprises. So uh, they don't like uh, planes running into buildings, uh, you know, things things of that nature. Yeah, I remember but, one of the things mm-hmm. that you always talk about is this – is I call it the hecht concept of uncertainty, that um, markets and investors, long-term investors, don't really like uncertainty in the world or – and that sim seems to impact them. They like boring, secure, you know, routine. Is that a correct statement? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I think um, uh, markets do like to see progress. They do like to see new ideas. 
uh, new developments, whether it be in, uh, with drugs or uh, automobiles or space exploration or, you know, whatever it may be. But um, um, markets generally, generally uh, tend to, to settle down. And when you look historically, they, um, uh, they, they like stability, yes. Peter, um, because it's a new year and maybe we're going to have a bunch of people coming into the market that have never been there before or people perhaps who have followed your advice and in previous uh, editions of Boomer Generation Radio of the fact that it's never too early to start developing a financial plan, a secure, significant financial plan for a family and an individual. So I'm going to just ask you one or two sort of like ba- – Imagine for you basic questions. What what's an annuity? An annuity is an insurance product that uh, uh, is different from life insurance in that it guarantees a certain uh, amount of income after an investor holds it for a certain period of time. Uh, there are certain bells and whistles we refer to in the in the um, uh, in the industry where they have certain. Um, uh, uh, benefits that can be added, guaranteed minimum income benefits so that you're guaranteed a certain amount of money uh, when you retire. Uh, but all of this is based on the the stability of the uh, insurance company. Um, and we're very careful in our business to use the word guarantee. Uh, so uh, annuities are used as a vehicle similar to an IRA where somebody can put away money that it's tax deferred and uh, the only the only thing is taxed that's taxed is when the um, money is is uh, dispersed uh, to the individual say at, at retirement so is is an annuity because I I know people who have uh, who are retiring or older adults who have annuities because because they say well like it guarantees me a set amount of money every month it and and that's part of the attraction for this product is it is it well yes and again it re- it depends on the reliability of the insurance company because right. again it's an insurance product uh lots of lots of annuities can uh, can guarantee you 10, you know, 12, uh, 15%, 8%, you know, wow. whatever the number may be. Uh, but you have to look at it realistically. If somebody's guaranteeing you, let's say 12%, and interest rates are at 2 and 3%, what kind of risk am I taking to get that 12%? So, you know, so so you have to you really have to peel the onion. There are a lot of internal fees, hidden fees. You right. need to have those explained to you. There are um, what they call back end loads. In other words, where you have to hold them for a certain amount of time. If you uh, take the money out prior to that, you're subject to a charge from the from the insurance company. Um, but I've also heard annuity uh, uh, people express that, you know, yes, they're expensive, but you're paying for certain guarantees. So you're you're not getting it for free. You're paying for it. Right. So, uh, so in other words, it, like you've reminded us every time mm-hmm. you're on that if you're going to be a a smart investor, you really have to do your homework. You just can't, you know, say, well, that looks good. 
I, I guess it's still in your business as many other businesses. Uh, if it if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Is would that still be a good statement? Yeah, yeah. Now that's on the now the flip side of that is that's not to say that all annuities are bad. They're not. Uh, you know, someone has, for instance, uh, someone has not really put away for their retirement, yeah. and they come into a large sum of money, um, and they want to, you know, put it put it away where it's where it's tax deferred, and they're not going to touch it for for a, a considerable period of time. That may be something to look at. You know, with 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 IRAs. You're limited as to what, in 401ks, you're limited, you're capped as to what you can put, a, put away. So if someone has $500,000 and they have no retirement monies whatsoever and they're 45 or 50 years of age, they may, may, may want to consider uh, an annuity. Just know what you're, you're paying for. And also, I think it's important, you mentioned something. I think it's important that if someone's considering investing, uh, they talk to more than one advisor. Mm-hmm. Compare. Shop How around. How do you feel? Shop What's the philosophy them. of the advisor? Are they stock jockeys? And there's nothing wrong with being a stock jockey, okay? Right. But, you know, just like there are all kinds of lawyers mm-hmm. who practice in different fields, there are all kinds of investors who work in different areas. Yeah, I think that's, so, a, I think that's a really – I think most people don't understand that, that, that it behooves them to shop around. And compare, uh, compare styles. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Compare philosophies and styles of investing. And I guess part of that also, isn't it? Cause I know you've talked about this a lot of really matching the style of investment to the individual yes. and where they are in their life, whether they can afford to be risk, uh, risk takers or they get to be in their seventies and eighties and they really want to limit that risk and be more, I guess, conservative. Correct. So, so this is really it's very important. It's very important. The the plan you devise, you devise for a thirty year old is going to look a lot different than a plan you devise for a seventy year old. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Peter so Hecht so. from uh, the Hecht Investment Group of Janet Montgomery Scott, uh, based in Southern New Jersey, and we'll be right back with Peter uh, to explore some other aspects of uh, the changing uh, financial world right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Seven five nine zero one two eight. Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDB AM eight sixty here in Greater Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. We're speaking with Peter Hecht of the Hecht Investment Group of Jenny Montgomery Scott. Peter, real fast before we go on, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, get in touch with uh, your group. How do they do that? They can just call us on our um, uh, toll-free line, 855-289-2168, or the direct line is 856-291-5026, or they can just go to uh, hectinvestmentgroup.com. There's a lot in... um 
the media, and I, I, I just got back from doing this, uh, some teaching in, in for a congregation in Florida, and on the radio uh, there, as you're traveling up and down, there's lots of uh, commercials for uh, being touted as the answer for older adults, uh, financial security through reverse mortgages. Can, can you just unpack what that is? Well, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, that is something we have an opinion about, a strong opinion about. Um, we're not in in favor of of reverse mortgages. They sound really, really good. Uh, talk you mentioned earlier, too good to be true. Yeah, what is it? Where what, you, what is it? Well, you, you you're basically tapping the the value of your home, and money money is is uh, is is given out to you um, on a monthly basis. Uh, but uh, you're you're eating into the value of the home. You're paying usually very high internal fees, and uh, then when you pass, your heirs could be could be stuck uh, with a home that doesn't have a, a great deal of, of value. So you're it's 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 very tricky, and I would strongly suggest you know it's not an area that we we're well versed in. We always tell people to to peel the onion on that one. If they want to bring us the information or consult with an attorney who specializes in real estate, that's probably the best thing to do. Or their accountant, mm-hmm. that's probably the best you know best avenues to take. But they can be very very tricky. And I always try and read that fine print that they show on the bottom that you can't really read and it's <laughs> up there very you know very quickly. Right right. right. Um, there's there's a lot of exclusions. So our our all we're saying is caution. We raise a flag of caution with reverse mortgages. So you know they, they raise something else that uh, that I have to ask you because again there are people who maybe now and it's a new year they they say well it's time you know it's time for me to really do something. There, there's also on the in the media um, it seems to be quite a lot of um, online investment opportunities uh, trades you know become almost like be your own stock broker. I'm, let me ask you. I guess I'm going to be asking you an honest question. How how legitimate is all this stuff? I mean, they're back. They well, seem to be look. backed by huge major companies, but it, all the responsibility goes on the individual, right? Correct, correct. And listen, lots of people are very sophisticated. That's terrific if they want to do it on their own. Far be it from us to tell them not to. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it, it's 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 like a plumber or or. Uh, uh, you know, a, a fixer-upper at, at a, with a house. You know, do you, do you really, or, or an electrician? Do you really want to mess with that stuff if you don't know what you're doing? You know, do you really want to start touching electrical wires in your home if you really don't know what you're doing? Yeah, you're talking to the wrong uh, person. <laughs> right, I know. I know. Well, I'm the same way. I am the same exact way because that's the way I look at my business. If I'm not sure of it, if I can't get my arms around it, it's the same when, way when we're recommending investments to people. You know, when we, we, we talk to people about re- reverse mortgages or about annuities or about uh, hedge funds, uh, if, if, if I can't get my arms around it, I'm better off going, you know, to, to an expert. And th- that's the best thing that I can say. Um, is it worth paying a fee to someone to manage your funds with you uh, as opposed to doing it in your, on your own. We seem to think that makes sense. Uh, and and it, it, 
it just behooves someone to to have a full understanding. Plus, the markets can be very emotional. You know, people forget we have very short memories. But I can remember the savings and loan crisis. You know, the markets took a took a hit. The terrible tragedy of 9/11, when the markets you know tanked. Uh, uh, so many events, impeachments, assassinations, and and or people people would say to us so often, well, markets high. Now's now's the time to get out. I have never met a human being who can time the markets. Right. Never. Right. Never. And, you know, it's funny. People talk about hedge funds, very sophisticated way of investing. Hedge funds got killed last year. Really? You know, so there's no one answer to everything. And we, you know, our philosophy is you need to look at everything that someone's got, what their needs are, what their, you know, what their, what their risk levels are. You know, anybody can say, well, I'm a conservative investor. Well, we open up their portfolio, and it's a lot of conservative investments, very conservative stocks. You know, the Exxons, the IBMs, the Apples of the world. Right. You know, they're very, very good companies. But at, at 75 years of age, should they be 100% in, in, in equities and stocks? Yes. I don't think so. So, I mean, taking your analogy before, if for people who are perhaps now at the beginning of the year looking to 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 do this, and your advice of shopping around, I would imagine then that um, it's important for for the consumer to shop around and make sure that when they go with a company that. It's not just a one-shot deal that there's an ongoing conversation several times a year. Say, well, let's, let's, has anything changed in your life? Did you have a new baby? Did you have a grandchild? Uh, are, are you downsizing? Do we have to readjust the portfolio or investment profile in the light of this? Have you gotten sick? Do we need to readjust? Because I imagine that's a lot of your business. The, somebody comes in with an illness, they have to readjust their finances in order to help manage the illness. Uh, so that this ongoing conversation, I think, is is it not part of part of being a an intelligent investor? That's what we do all the time. We yeah. call it ten four and two, or twelve four and two. We're in touch with our clients every month. We have a minimum of of uh, four you know quarterly reviews. And we require that two of those at least be in person. Mm-hmm. You have to know all these things. You, you, we just went through a whole litany of, of issues that we talk about on a regular basis. And let me throw this in because survey after survey shows. It's why we recommend talking to two or three different advisors before you make a, uh, a decision. But survey sur- after survey shows that most people think the number one reason they deal with someone is because they're going to make them money. The number one reason uh, that an investor deals with a professional is because they feel they have they trust them, and they feel they have they have their best interests interest at heart. Yes, making money is important, but it's about number four or five on the list. Right. So it's you it, know right up at the top is service. Service you and have trust. To hear from people. Service and trust. You well, have it's, to it's, hear from. It, from it, your advisor. Right. I imagine if I'm giving you my money to invest and to manage, I need to have confidence in our relationship. And I think that's yeah. it's kind of like basic that it goes with everything else. We only have about two minutes left in this segment. So I'm, I'll ask you the, the easy question. Uh, looking forward, we're in January. People may be entering the market. It's a new year. Give me the 
based upon your your best projections, what are the top three areas to focus in on as investors for 2017? Well, let me say this: we our investment uh, uh, plan is we we basically use exchange traded funds and mutual funds. We don't use a lot of individual stocks. We do in some occasion on some uh, occasions. But our, our sectors that we really like, we like the general market in, in general. Um, uh, we, we like Europe. Uh, we also feel strongly about healthcare, mm-hmm. technology, uh, financials. Banks should do fairly well if, if interest rates continue to inch up. Uh, but we, again, we don't feel that we're going to run into, to, uh, inflationary pressures. Um, um, let, me see, let me see here. I said financials, healthcare, technology, um, and, and financials. Those are the main the main ones. So, a blue skying it uh, at the beginning of the year. You you feel kind of confident in the financial situation of the country? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Peter uh, Peter Hecht of the Hecht Investment Group in Southern New Jersey. Real fast website and phone contact, Peter. Okay, the phone contact, the toll-free number is 888, excuse me, 88, can't get this right, I don't give it out that often, uh, 855-289-2168. It's 855-289-2168. The website is simply hecht, H-E-C-H-T, investmentgroup.com. Peter Hecht of uh, the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott of Southern New Jersey. Thank you very much. Uh, Peter, continue. Good luck. And uh, stay safe. Say hello to the family. And to all of you, thank you for joining us on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you hopefully next Tuesday. And uh, have a great week. Stay safe. Thanks again, Peter. Thank you. Bye-bye.